the governing bodies of sport have been wrestling with this and you know they've all taken different approaches but i think it's been hard it's been very very difficult to come to the right solution here because there 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 is an understanding that you know you want sport to be inclusive and diverse and all the rest of these sorts of things but ultimately when it comes down to the fairness of the competition there are some legitimate concerns there so i think a number of these governing bodies have been struggling to come up with a resolution that does everything for everyone which isn't easy in any walk of life so late last week the governing body of world athletics voted to exclude transgender female athletes from elite competition if they went through puberty as males and that's important that's key They've also made some changes to some of the rules around this issue in a different context, and that's the allowable testosterone levels in some athletes. Now, as I say, this has been one of the more divisive issues in athletics, any sports, for a very, very long time. Now, it still is. 30% of the countries involved in voting in terms of what the World Athletic Governing Body should do, 30% of them voted against the ban that has now been instated. So it's not like it's unanimous, not even close. What is the answer? What? It's a tough one. Let's chat with Laura Meisner, who's a professor and director of the School of Kinesiology at Western University. Dr. Meisner, thank you for joining us again. I appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. On this issue, in this particular instance, did World Athletics get it right, do you think? Well, that's a tricky one. There isn't necessarily a right or wrong answer. Exactly. Uh, I, I think in this case, what they were trying to do is to consult the constituents, which meant consulting national governing bodies, consulting athletes, coaches, and looking at the available science. And unfortunately, there isn't a lot of available evidence to demonstrate one way or the other whether there is an advantage for trans women, whether they retain any biological advantage when they transition. And so, um, you know, they were really going on what they had available to them. And basically, the evidence came to them to say, we don't know enough. So in order to what they've called protect the women's sport, what they've decided is to exclude those trans women who have gone through puberty as a man um, in order to, you know, so that they call protect the sanctity of the women's sport and to try and ensure some level of fairness. That's what Sebastian Coe, who's the head of World Athletics, said. This has to be done in order to protect fairness and the female category and, and you know if 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 we accept that there are biological differences that's why we have the divisions to begin with we have male and female so i mean i i can understand exactly what he's saying in terms of the fairness of the competition there had to be some kind of rule in place did there not yeah i mean there does need to be some rules in place if we're trying to to create fair, equitable playing fields. I think the bigger issue that we have is, is sport in general. It's been built upon these, you know, dichotomous gender lines, male, female, and we really just yeah. can't get over that. We we have, we can't let that go and think about other ways to deal with it. So in the face of the fact that currently we have essentially two categories in sport, man, male sport and female sport, um, you know, they're, they're really wrestling with how do we then manage those who might not fit neatly into this particular category that's been you know socially constructed so um in order to deal with it they've said 
you can't compete. And so that becomes really problematic for many people who are saying that's not inclusion, that's not access, that's not equity of opportunity in the sport. And so that's where we're seeing many of those organizations standing up and saying, this is not okay. This is not what we wanted to see happen. Um, This is not following the evidence. This is not what it's about. So um, there's some real concern about the, the equity and the inclusive nature of this policy. Of course, absolutely. I mean, you're literally banning one group of athletes from competing. So I mean, I can understand the, the, the concern there. Um, the inclusion of the male puberty components of this, that matches what world's, uh, the governing body of swimming uh, made a mm-hmm. similar decision mm-hmm. earlier saying, you know what, if you've had one day of puberty as a male, that's it. We, we, we can't let you compete in the female category. Um, why is that so important? Right. So, you know, the notion that when you've started puberty as a man, um, you're increasing levels of testosterone and that potentially comes with some advantages. And that could be depends on the sport again. So that's why sport by sport might be different. So it might be related to muscle mass. There's, there's issues around body angle and the, and the angle of particular joints um, being able to produce more power, for mm-hmm. example, in cycling or swimming. And so there's all kinds of different things that come along with the, the that what happens or supposedly happens to the male body during puberty. The question remains that we don't know whether when those individuals make the decision to transition to live their lives as women, and then um, do they retain those biological advantages that they're taking hormone suppressants or any of the, the other things that come along with that. Um, and that's the concern I think we're hearing from um, some of the governing bodies. We heard it from many athletes, particularly female athletes, saying, you know, this doesn't seem fair. We don't know whether this is fair for us to continue to compete with those individuals who have started to this process. And so that's where they were sort of seeing this gray area of there being a lack of evidence to show whether there is this advantage. Um, having had swimming go first, I think is, you know, helpful for yeah. athletics because those are two of the most powerful international governing bodies. And so when they're making these decisions, they're making them because of the individual nature of the sport in particular, but they're also making them to be the leaders in the sport community to say, this is our decisions. Let's see what happens to follow suit. We do know that there's other organizations who have said that's not how we're going to address this issue. Um, but these two really powerful organizations have put this statement forward. Uh, that all makes perfect sense, Laura. I'm wondering, why did they decide to cut in half the allowable level of testosterone basically i think it went from five down to two and a half um which is it's pretty drastic what's the reasoning behind that so in fact what happened in this particular case this is related to athletes who are um dsd which is differing sexual development um and they those individuals have been allowed to compete in the female category um with a blood testosterone level below 2.5 for events that were uh, 400 meters and over. So in other words, there's some evidence to suggest those individuals have a biological advantage if they have higher levels of testosterone in sort of those long distance categories. So those are the events we've typically seen Castor Semenya compete in, and we know a bit more about that. What they did do is also change that. So that now is... Um, for all sports, so all field events, all sprint events, short distance, so it's across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the major changes that's made, and that does actually impact a number of athletes, like Castor Semenya, like Christine Moboyle yeah. from Namibia. So we're seeing an impact there, and I think that the, in- the intent here isn't necessarily to single out those particular athletes, but to make it the sort of straightforward across the board. This is the threshold. There we go. The other thing that they've done in sort of the immediate future is to say those individuals 
could reduce their testosterone levels to the acceptable level six months prior to international competition, and then they would be acceptable for them to compete in the female category. Well, unfortunately, that also has significant implications because World Championship is in August, less than six months from now. Hmm. So therefore, there will be individuals who will not be able to do to meet that because they haven't had that information in advance. Um, so that changes the whole piece around the options available to particular athletes in different categories. Um, and it's problematic because, in fact, the decision around the transgender piece, trans women, um, we don't ne- we don't know that there's anyone competing at the international level who identifies as a trans woman. So, in fact, it doesn't okay. have okay. immediate implication on anyone in world athletics. However, the decision that we're talking about now around DSD athletes, it does have an impact on athletes like Castor Semenyuk, like Christine Mamboa, and probably a couple of others in terms of them being able to compete in world championships as well as then be eligible for the next Games in Paris 2024. And wasn't there a really prominent example in swimming as well that sort of forced them to do yes. this because I think it was at the college level, right? It was at the college level. So it's an interesting thing because at different levels, there's different um, implications for this. But what we saw is an athlete competing with, um, you know, higher levels of testosterone and that, then, you know, they blew everybody out of the water and everybody went, oh my goodness, what's happening here? Is this, is this acceptable? What, what is going on? You know, there's some other things that we probably need to look at in those particular cases around anaerobic capacity, yeah. body composition changes. I mean, there's a whole host of things. And I think really what, the re- sort of the reactions of athletics federations is is that we just don't know. We really don't know enough yet. And as they continue to retain these sort of dichotomous gendered lines, they're saying, well, we need to protect this category. I mean, Lee, that's really what they're saying is we need to protect the women's yeah. category to ensure it's fair and equitable competition. Um, you know, again, interestingly, because we're not willing and don't seem willing to talk about other categories. Lots of suggestions have come forward about potentially changing the male category, t- having an open category, yeah, yeah. lots of different possibilities. But we are so set in sport on these two roles, it's male or female, and that's how we separate it out. It's really problematic that they can't seem to think differently around that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That seems to be sort of it's one or the other. And there's a lot of people on text line saying right now, yeah, why don't we have an open category? Why, why don't mm-hmm. we do something like that? Maybe we get to that at some point. But I think the the response here, Doc, was to just try and uh, put in some guardrails around the female division. But uh, right. it's thorny. Thanks so much for helping us walk through it, though. I do appreciate your time.